0: Good morning church. You will have to forgive me. I sitting in my office just a little bit ago. I felt like I got hit in the back of the throat with some dust. I've been coughing since. <laughs> so forgive me for this. <laughs> I was doing alright until I got here. Alright. If you have your Bibles, just open those up to Luke chapter 2. That's right, my little Pentecostal back there. Don't let these people get to you. You keep on. That's right. Nothing like having somebody tell the preacher to come on. That's what we want. Luke chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 1 to 20 this morning as we celebrate the birth of Christ. <coughs> Excuse me excuse me. That's right. Bring fire, son. That's right. (laughs) It's about to be. (laughs) Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for the love that we have from you in Christ. We're grateful that we have the opportunity to celebrate this time of the year, to know that you worked so many things together in order to bring christ into this world uh, to have him step out of glory and to put on flesh so that he could live the life that we were supposed to live so that he could die our death and as we celebrate that today lord i pray that we would be uh, focused on you that our hearts would be inclined to worship you and that we would push away all distractions uh, so that we can sing your praises and listen to this word from you Uh, lord we love you it's in your son's name that i pray amen Sorry. <clears throat> all, right. all right luke chapter 2 we're going to read verses 1 to 20 it says in those days a decree went out from caesar augustus that the whole empire should be registered this first registration took place while quinarius was governing syria so everyone went to be registered each to his own town joseph also went up from the town of nazareth in galilee to judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, There was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to the people he favors. (coughs) When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. So one of the things that has always stuck out to me about this passage is this notion of Mary soaking all this stuff up. She's taking in all these things that have been going on around her for you know, at least nine months just from when the angel came and said, you're going to get pregnant. And she said, how's that going to happen? You know, I've never been with a man. And the angel explains that this child is going to be conceived through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so, but even before that, you have the hundreds and thousands of years of prophecy that the Lord has been providing through, uh, through his prophets for the, for the people of Israel. But as it talks about her treasuring up these things in her heart and meditating on them, that's what I've been doing as I've been processing through this Christmas season. And as we think about um, all the many prophecies that have to come together to get these 20 verses. I mean, all of the Old Testament is building up to these, the fulfillment of these promises right here. And it's amazing to think about, I mean, how, how much work does it take to get one or two people in your life to come together on one plan, right? You've, you're trying to get something accomplished and you're putting it out there. You know, maybe you've got a Facebook group and you're putting it out there for the holiday party and you're trying to get everybody together on the same page to do the same thing with the same goal and I mean let's just say that's one or two people how difficult is it for you to, to make that happen right that's not easy Right? It's not easy to get people that maybe have two different ideas about how this thing's supposed to go together. Or you know, maybe you've got one person who's the organization person and one person who, who thrives in chaos. And all of a sudden you're trying to put these two people together. And you're trying to get them to, to communicate and to work together. Sometimes it can be crazy. And yet we serve a God who looks at all the things that had to come together in order to make these 20 verses happen. And for him to organize all of this takes no more effort for him to make it happen than for him to say it. Right? He spoke creation into being and after speaking cre- creation into being, all it took was his words and creation comes from nothing to something. And so as the his creation rebels against him and as it falls apart... And he makes these promises that one would come to set all things right. For him to make this happen is of no difficulty at all. But I love to process through some of these promises that we've been given that talk to us about this coming Messiah, the one that, you know, the we've said like the prophecies and the the supernatural things that happen in order to make this happen come true like those aren't the big deal the big deal is that the promise is being fulfilled and these prophecies that are coming true are the neon signs saying this is the messiah and so we've got several of these that we're very familiar with most of us at this time of year and you know as we think about these You know, you have stuff like Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, which says, "...for a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on His shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever." The zeal of armies, uh, the Lord of armies will accomplish this. <coughs> so we have this promise of this child that will come, and the, the names uh, that he will be called are amazing wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. So the one coming is promised to be God, Emmanuel, God with us. So we have this Promise He will be God Himself. He will be from the lineage of David. And then it narrows down even more. He will be born in Bethlehem. Micah 5.2 says, Bethlehem Ephrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. And so we see that we've got this big picture idea that God is going to send one to be the Savior, to be the Messiah. It will be God Himself. And then we've got this big idea that He's going to be from the people of David. Right? So we've got this big lineage here. And all of a sudden it narrows down a little bit more because it's going to come, the, this one, this Messiah, is going to come through Bethlehem. And then on top of that, we see the government coming together to work for the prophecy in Joseph and Mary's day. Uh, it, they call together these people to come in a census. And so even though you've got these people who would rebel against this God, who have nothing, no interest in worshiping this God, they work together for the plans of this God to make happen one of the major prophecies that says this is the Messiah. So even a pagan government works together for God's plan. And then you have the Messiah who would be conceived and delivered from a virgin. Right? Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. So that brings it from, okay, it could be anybody from the lineage of David. David right mm-hmm. and that even extends back to the people of Abraham Abraham was promised that that he would bless the nations through his lineage So we have the big Abrahamic covenant, and that gets narrowed down to the Davidic covenant. And then all of a sudden that gets narrowed down to people who are coming through from Bethlehem. And then on top of that, you've got this one person, this one virgin who's going to give birth to a son. And that son is going to be the Messiah. So big picture just keeps getting narrower and narrower until we see this passage in Luke chapter 2 that shows the birth of Christ. Who could this possibly be other than the Messiah? Where you have angels showing up to proclaim the beauty that this is. That this birth is the One who came to save you and me. And when we think about this, if you think about the implications of all the things that had to come together in order to make this happen... It should lift us with all the words that we celebrate during the Christmas season. When we talk about Advent, we talk about hope, we talk about peace, we talk about joy, and we talk about love. All of these things culminate in the person of Jesus Christ. And when we think about this, when we think about the the promises of God's presence with us, And that promise that we see coming down through the centuries, promised all the way back, beginning at Genesis chapter 3, when the first fall happens, right? When our first parents rebelled against God, we see almost immediately God saying, There will be one who will set this right. And then we see God navigating through different people, different times, different cultures, different kingdoms. And all of a sudden, we come to this passage in Luke chapter 2, where it all comes to fruition. We can see that God's promises cannot be ignored. Right? His power cannot be ignored. Right? Who has the power to make these things happen the way that God said they were going to happen, other than God Himself? Right? Who has the ability? Even the most loving parent, the most loving sibling, the most loving spouse, who has the ability to fulfill every promise that they have ever made in order to keep that trust and that bond that they have with the person that they've made these promises with? Who has the ability to do that other than God? Even our best intentions fall flat sometimes because we don't have the ability to keep our promises. We want to, but we have limitations, right? So what I've been thinking about as I have processed through that, the, all of this in the past couple of weeks, right? With everything that's been going on in my life, right? And all the conversations, one of the things that stuck, st- stood out to me from this passage this time was this statement from the angel. He says, do not fear. All right, angel shows up to the shepherds in the middle of the night, shining brightly like a star, and they're terrified, and he says, do not be afraid. Now, I've been having conversations with people over the last few months. Um, I've, got, I've got someone near, near to me that has lost a loved one this, this year, and this is the first time in a long time that they have dealt with any kind of holiday season without their spouse. I've got people in my life and around me who are dealing with the loss of a job this season. All of a sudden, you know, they see, you know, what does the future look like for me? I have to do something different than what I've been doing over the last several years, right? I know people who have either, I know a couple specifically, I I talked to the husband uh, a couple of days ago, a young couple down in Florida, they're in the process of losing their marriage. And just out of nowhere, it just fell apart and so I'm talking with him and he you know he's not wanting this to happen he's pursuing after his wife and she's just not interested and so all of a sudden he finds himself facing his worst fear which was being abandoned and so I've talked with him through some of that and so he's experiencing some of his worst fears right now I've seen people I've talked to people who have lost their health over Uh, the course of this year and you know next year's really not looking promising for them either right I know people who have walked away from their faith because of this because of all this stuff that's been going on in their life they they see it and it becomes too much for them and they just walk away right we have people promulgating fear every step of the way the the media pushes fear like it's their job. We have people who are experiencing political fear. They don't know what their country is going to look like. In the next couple of years, you've got, you know, every single week, it seems like there's a new COVID-19 variant that makes people afraid of for their health, right? You've got the division of neighbors, different political ideations. You've got different people who have different understandings of uh, what they want to do with, with COVID and masks, no masks, vaccine, no, no vaccine. And it is just a tumultuous time. I happen to know uh, very well this family with some amazing parents that have just wrecked their whole house by bringing in two adopted kiddos. <laughs> and they're wondering if they'll ever sleep again. But fear abounds in many different ways, right? Fear abounds in many different ways. We have times that are hard. We have people experiencing fear and anxiety. They're overwhelmed. uh, And that is a common experience through the holiday season. And so as I was reading through Luke chapter 2 again this year, this idea... That the angel said, "Do not be afraid," really stuck out to me. And now I want to be up up front with you. Like I know the context of what the angel meant. All right. So none of this none of this implications that I'm attaching to this with the Messiah was meant by the angel. The angel showed up to a bunch of shepherds in the middle of a field at night, and they were terrified, which often happened when an angel shows up. Uh, to anybody in scripture, the angel shows up, the people freak out, some of them fall down like they're dead, and almost always they either say one of two things don't be afraid and don't worship me. Right? So that's the context of this. When he says, do not be afraid, he means, I mean you no harm. Right? Yes, I am a supernatural being that popped into existence in front of your face, but what I mean, I mean you no harm. This, I am a herald. This is a message of good news for you. And so the the context of that is that I'm not going to harm you. But we can take from that and, and push a little bit more meaning into it, where because of this announcement, because of the, the heralding of this good news that he is proclaiming to these shepherds, then we can also experience a lack of fear right we can have an experience of a lack of fear in the same way that God was calming these shepherds saying that I mean you no harm we can have an experience like that through this same proclamation and there's three different types of fear that I want to address moving forward from for for this for this sermon right number one we have the fear of God This proclamation of the coming Messiah can help us ease our fear of God. Now, not completely because Proverbs 9.10 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all understanding. So there's always supposed to be this, uh, this sense of awe and respect that comes in our relationship with the Lord. And so we don't ever get to be completely unafraid of God, but... Because of the coming Messiah, we have one that has come to live the life that we were supposed to live. He will eventually die the death that we deserve, and he will raise again on the third day, taking care of sin and death for us forever. And so therefore, now we can have relationship with God the Father that was uh, denied us because of our sin. Right? Before, Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 2 that we were children of wrath. That we are people who, if we continued down the path that we were going down at that time, we would experience God's wrath and we would experience His wrath for eternity. Anyone facing that should be afraid. Like That's intelligence. Right? That's not lack of faith because there is no faith there. That's intelligence. You should be afraid of of the God who is promising you, if you die in your rebellion, you will experience separation from from him forever. And that means that you will be separated from him in a place called hell. You should be afraid of that. But because of this proclamation, because of this promise, this one who came down the path for centuries and showed up and was announced to these shepherds, we no longer need to be afraid of the God who wanted relationship with us so much that he would send his son to step into this world to be what we couldn't be and die the death that we deserve. And now we have a restored relationship with him because of this promised Messiah. This Messiah takes away the fear of God. Because now, instead of being Children of wrath were co heirs with Christ. We have this promise that we will reign forever with Christ for all eternity. And so, no matter what's going on in our life now, we can cling to that promise for the future. God takes away, the Messiah takes away fear. Right? right, 1 John 4 18 says, There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect fear drives a perfect love. Drives out fear because fear involves punishment, so the one who fears is not complete in love. we no longer fear punishment. we no longer have the wrath of God hanging over our head because of the fulfilment of these promises. Jesus took our sin on him on himself, died for those on the cross, rose again, conquering sin and death forever, and so now our fear of God. Is no longer necessary all right the second type of fear that we can experience is fear of the world right fear of the world and we talked about some of those right you've got political fear you've got fear from losing a job or losing a loved one right all of this stuff combines to this idea of being afraid of the world and we have this promise in John 16 verses 25 to 33 which says Excuse me. It says, I have spoken these things to you in figures of speech. A time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. On that day, you will ask in my name, and I am not telling you that. I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Look, now you're speaking plainly and not using any figurative language. Now we know that you know everything and don't need anyone to question you. By this, we believe that you came from God. Jesus responded to them, Do you now believe? Indeed, an hour is coming and has come when each of you will be scattered to his own home and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. So another type of fear that we have conquered in the coming of Christ is the fear of the world. What can the world throw at us that is overwhelming to the power of God? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Right? What can you possibly experience fear of that the power of God does not have the ability to overcome? And even if, like we mentioned, uh, I think it was last week we talked about even if something bad happens to us, we still have the, the the promises of God that we can lean into for the future. So when the bad things come down the pipe from the world, we can stand like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel, where he was presented with the fiery furnace, and he said, I, our God can save us from this furnace, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow down to you. We're not going to bow down to... A hostile government we're not gonna bow down to hostile neighbors or co-workers or people in our family but we're not gonna bow down in fear right we're gonna live our lives in a way that honors God no matter what because nothing that you can do to me or to yourselves is going to matter in eternity ultimately we win right like what What issue between the red states and the blue states and the red politicians and the blue politicians are going to last for eternity? Nothing. Right? What part of this job or this job or this house or these neighbors, like when they all come at you, like what is that going to look like when you're sitting here praising the Lord 10 billion years from now? Like what kind of fear should we have from any of this when we put that into the light of eternity? None. We do not need to be afraid because the Lord has already conquered all that we can possibly fear in this life. Yeah, it's hard. Sometimes it is so mind-blowingly difficult that we don't know what to do with ourselves, but the promises of God are strong and firm and they do not waver. We have all these promises that eventually none of this stuff is going to matter anymore. And all that will remain is what we have done for the kingdom of God. All that will remain is the promises that we lean into, that we have, that was fulfilled in the coming of Christ. And lastly, the, the last thing that I want to mention is this, Uh, Fear of pain and the degradation of the body. I mean, right now, everybody's worried about their health. I mean, that's the main source of fear that I've talked to people about that is consistent across. I mean, all generations have been afraid of what happens to their body if they catch COVID-19 or from all different places right? I've got family up in upstate New York. I've got family down in Florida. I got people everywhere and they're all concerned about what happens to their body if they catch COVID-19. And so it doesn't have to just be that though. I mean, like, believe it or not, there are other things that can happen to you other than COVID-19, right? Yeah. And so what happens when we realize that, you know, the world is broken and my body falls apart. Like, I, I, I didn't even plan this, but just about 20 minutes ago, I got hit in the back of the throat with something. I've been coughing my head off ever since. And I don't think it's COVID-19. <laughs> I think it's dust. <laughs> Sorry, Donna, I'll keep my distance. <clears throat> but I got a piece of dust in the back of my throat that's trying to take me down, Right? So there is weakness in the body and it's, and it's a reality that we all face at some point or another. right? I've spent weeks in the hospital with a little boy who should be much bigger than he is and I see the frailness of his frame. And eventually my body will be that frail as well. That's the nature of living in a world that is broken by sin. So... If we dwell too much on that, then, goodness gracious, we can be paralyzed by fear. If I go and do this, what will happen? If I go and do this, what will happen? You know, what if I shake hands with the wrong person and I get sick? Or, you know, take step out off the step the wrong way and twist an ankle or, you know, break a hip or, you know, whatever it could be. There's any number of things to be afraid of in this life. But we have the promise that this life is not the end. It's this beautiful promise From Revelation 21 verses 1 to 7, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride, adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and He will live with them. They will be His peoples, and God Himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more, because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Right, because these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Now we have this beautiful promise of what's to come, and this life is not the end. This life is not even worth comparing to what's coming for us in the second coming of Christ or when we die and go home to be with Him. Like, What, what could we possibly be afraid that's going to stand up to this promise of God where there will be no more death, no more grief, no more sin? Right? We will get to spend eternity face to face with the God who loved us enough to fulfill all these promises with the coming of Christ And we get to look back at all this stuff that we were so afraid of in this life, and we get to think, man, that that what 90 years? Man, that was nothing. Right? The Amazing Grace says, you know, when we've been there for ten thousand years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun. Right? This 60, 70, 80, 90 years, whatever it is that you've got, as hard as it may be, and I'm not saying it's not hard. I'm just saying that why, like, don't cling to this life, cling to the promises for the next one, and live in light of those fulfilled promises. Like, what else could God, like, I love my kids so much, to sacrifice any of them for anything seems crazy to me and so for god the father to sacrifice his son for you and for me if he will not withhold that what will he withhold from us so lean into the promise right that's where the hope and the peace and the joy comes from it comes from the love of a father who loved you enough to sacrifice his son to bring you back into relationship with him That's what we're celebrating, right? Perfect love casts out fear. And so my challenge to you here today is to lean into that love. Lean into those promises to honor God with everything that you do, all the thoughts and decisions that you make, no matter what the fear may be on the other side of that. Lean into doing what he has called you to do, Honoring Him because the promises are true and they will never end. Let's pray together. (coughs) Father, it's my desire that we would be people who are mindful of your promises. Mindful of your power. Mindful of knowing that anything that you have put before us, Lord, anything that you have uh, told us what happen would come true, Lord. It will because of your character and your nature. And so, Lord, you loved us enough to send Jesus to die a death that we deserve and to overcome sin and death on the cross by rising again the third day. And so with those promises being true, we should trust that all your promises are true. All these promises of the future. And we should live our lives in light of those promises. Yes, this world is full of difficulty. It's full of complication and strife and brokenness. But we should take heart because you have overcome the world. Help us to remember that as we go from this place today. Lord, I love you. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen.